Welcome to One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm not a Dr. Anna. I'm a mom and a therapist. And I'm a high school student and a daughter. Each week, we'll discuss relevant parenting topics. And we'll interview some fantastic guest experts. And leave you with practical tips and information. Welcome, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Thanks so much for pulling yourself away from your homework to do this. Well, I'm trying to establish a homework-life balance. So. <laughs> How's that going for you? Mm, it's all right. Finals are this week, so it's a little bit rocky. Well, you did commit to making chocolate chip pumpkin bread today. Yeah, but who wouldn't commit to that? I know, but still, I appreciate you taking the time and being like, all right, I'm going to watch less TV on my phone <laughs> and dedicate more time to cooking for my family. Yep. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that we have one of my dear colleagues on our podcast today. Her name is Courtney Ikaza, and she is a licensed clinical addiction specialist. She is also a certified clinical supervisor, and she is also a clinical mental health counseling supervisor. So she's basically like a guru for me because she is so experienced. She is always the person I go to for advice. She's kind of like, I would call her my mentor for sure. And I asked her to talk with us today about work-life balance because I know she has a lot of experience with working with adults who struggle with this, particularly during COVID. Yeah. I mean, everything kind of went upside down once COVID started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Please enjoy Courtney Ikaza. Thank you so much for being here with us, Courtney. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so glad we're here to talk about work-life balance today. I think I probably don't role model this as well as I should, and Anna can probably speak to that. But right now, with our work life being kind of wonky for so many families because things have changed so much with COVID, I think it's an important topic for parents to get some insight about because we're having to balance so much right now. Work-life balance has definitely changed with the pandemic, with virtual schooling. Certainly, that has changed work-life balance and what that means. And I think probably the term work-life balance is something that hopefully people are actually thinking about more because they are working from home and they've had to think about it a little bit more. So it's definitely something that's becoming more important and hopefully people are paying attention to it and that they'll learn something from the podcast. Yeah, I hope so. I always hope people are learning. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, first, before we get started, I think I'd like to just hear from you about healthy work-life balance. Like, what does that look like? Sometimes clients come in and they have this ideal that there's an perfect, healthy work-life balance. And maybe that looks like 50-50, or it looks like they have these great transitions and they can stop and start work at particular times. And then they don't think about work the rest of the night. And I try to educate them that that's not necessarily a healthy work-life balance. Really a healthy work-life balance is just recognizing and nurturing each part of my life. So recognizing the working part of my life and nurturing that part recognizing the home part of me and nurturing that and also having the ability to recognize when it's out of balance and to correct that is a huge part of it being healthy. I think that sometimes a lot of women can really struggle with feeling 
guilt-free over the fact they identify strongly as an employee. And we can be sent messages that somehow we are less responsive to our family if we have a focus or pride or whatever you want to call it in our work, whereas I'm not sure men are being given those same messages. Do you see a difference between men and women when they talk about this issue? I do. I think another piece of what you're saying is that they feel guilty. They also tend to, I think across the board, feel like healthy work-life balance means there's no overlap. So sometimes with moms, it's helping them to understand that a healthy work-life balance is allowing their kids to see that piece of them that's career-oriented and career-focused. It doesn't mean that that's the only piece their kids see. So as a woman, being able to show your kids, if your kids were going to describe you to their friends, they say, mom packs lunch, she tells stories, she's also a boss, she manages a team, she runs a call center, she gets up and shows up on time every day. And for moms to not feel guilty that if your kid describes you, those are positive descriptors of mom. It's not just, oh, reading the bedtime story, packing the lunch, and doing those things are positive. Our kids describing us and our work, that's positive too. That's sending a good message to them as well. Now, Anna, what do you hear from your friends if they mention their, both their parents, but their mothers in particular? Do they use professional terms or their work life to sort of describe their mother as a person? Or do you ever refer back to the type of work I do with your friends or does it just not come up? I mean, it doesn't really come up that often. I know like I have one friend who will like tell me what's going on with like, they're all like, oh, how is your family? And they'll like tell me what's going on and like they've been busy or stuff. But then I've also have friends who are like not 100% sure what their parents even do. I was working on Spanish a few days ago when my teacher asked me to use three words to describe my mom. We also have a vocabulary list of like adjectives to describe people in Spanish. And so I use like hardworking as one. I think I use like intelligent and like funny or something like that. But, like, I, I would have like, been really disappointed if you didn't say funny. Yeah. Well, I couldn't, <laughs> That's decide, really important I couldn't decide between nice and funny and oh, I thought funny was better. So. Nice is boring. <laughs> Good choices, Anna. Good choices. I know. Yeah. I like the hardworking and I like the, I like all of them. I mean, you are a very hardworking person. I mean, you're, you're always doing some kind of project. Yeah. But I think it's, it's awesome that Anna recognizes in you part of that balance, hardworking as a mom, but hardworking at your job as well. That using that word as a descriptor describes both of those. And that's a really cool thing because that's a trait that you will pass along. We know that a lot of work ethic traits come from what we see growing up. And so that will be passed along. So that's a cool word. You did a good job, Anna. Good job with your words. Good job to me for role modeling that. (laughs) Yes, good job to you too. Sorry. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Because it's all about me. Yeah. And the next podcast will be on narcissism. I know, right. (laughs) But once again, it will be about me. So, okay, so I love what you're saying that balance can incorporate showing both sides of those components of your life to your kids. And I think that mothers in particular have the ability to really influence how kids view that. I know, and I've said this before on this podcast, I know that there's been times, particularly with my son, that he will have, or in this oftentimes when he was younger, that he would have sort of a double standard and that he really did understand 
that on occasion, because his dad is very involved, his dad might miss something due to work. But then if I missed something, it was like, how could this be? And so, and I, I had to sort of set the the boundary of like, you know, hey, buddy, I'm not going to apologize for doing good work with my clients and helping to provide for this family. And I mean, I don't think I've heard a statement like that from him in a while, even no. though. Something you've also always like said from us growing up was like, you would be doing something like clearly important and we'd come up and ask you like a dumb question. Like, can you make us a sandwich? And you'd be like, do you not see that I'm working on something? Like, I'm doing something important. You can make your own sandwich. And then we were like, oh, oh yeah. I remember one time saying to your brother, like, I'm not doing you any favors if I imply to you that you can't do that on your own. <laughs> if I hop up and do it for you, that's actually going to undermine your belief system that you are competent. And he's like, so I got to make my own sandwich. I'm like, do it, man. Just do it. <laughs> Sandwiches always have a deeper meaning. That's probably true. All the layers. Yeah. Or it's like a, a love language. It's a love language of active service for kids is if you make them their lunch. I think these days I'm more like text down to Anna and I'm like, can you make me some coffee? Yeah, I mean, you set it right outside the door and I'll get it between appointments. Yes. She, she does. She's amazing. So, okay. So we got some ideas about what healthy work-life balance might look like. How do we know if we're veering into the unhealthy zone? Usually we can tell that we're veering into the unhealthy zone when we don't recognize it. So if I think that I am doing a great job and I have it mastered, usually I'm not. So what I mean by that is when clients come in and they tell me, oh, I totally separate work and home, then that's a red flag for me because that is probably pretty close to impossible because we're human and things happen in our day, just like things happen at home that sometimes I bring into work with me. Things also happen at work that sometimes come home with me. So when people tell me that they absolutely have a perfect boundary, usually that lets me know that there is some imperfection. So I really encourage my clients to examine what are you doing to try to help? And if you don't think you have a problem, then we, we should talk about it because it likely means that you're, you're out of whack a little bit. There's also the ones that you typically think of, the unhealthy coping skills, eating too much, drinking too much, drugs or alcohol, sleeping too much, irritability, disconnecting from your family. Those are probably the more obvious ones that people know and they're more familiar with, but they certainly can be a sign of an unhealthy work-life balance. I feel like I'm most aware of it when I feel very frazzled or if I feel like my irritability level is going up because I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like Anna, when you conveyed that statement of like, can't you see I'm doing something? Like that probably would be an indicator for me yeah. that like, oh, I'm struggling to balance this right now. Right. So mine is freezing. I know that I'm out of balance when I tend to freeze up. And for me, it is, I know that I have tasks that I need to do for my home life and tasks that I need to do for work. And when I'm out of balance, I tend to freeze up and I just want to sit on the couch and watch TV which can be something to do to relax, but is not particularly helpful when you have other things to be doing and, you know, it's 5.30 and 
there's other tasks that need to be done and that should be a time to be productive for me, but I will sit down on the couch and watch four hours of Netflix because really I know that things are out of balance for me and I'm trying to avoid. So I'm a freezer. I will just try and avoid everything and sitting down and having to, for me, I know I have to have something like a really good book or a really engaging TV show. Otherwise it's going to be on my mind. So I will try to freeze up and find something to engage in to get me out of that space. That's how I know, okay, I'm out of balance. I need to find something to get me back into a good place. When you say that you get out of balance, is it, and you and I obviously do very related work because we're both therapists, but do you find it's because you have actual like physical tasks to do, like to return emails or to get that thing to your accountant or file insurance, or do you find it's more about the uh, sort of energy level is really low, like your sort of compassion fatigue, or you're, you're just feeling the weight of how we are sort of in the front lines right now with people's stress levels and all of that. Like for you, what is that like? I was going to say pre-2020, it was what you said first. It was just the task. Return that email for me, file insurance, get that claim sent out. Probably beginning in April to May of last year, obviously things kind of fell apart in March with the pandemic, then everything else that happened after that. And so definitely now the compassion fatigue has set in for me, which was something because I worked in substance abuse and piece, a piece of working in substance abuse is, is having, obviously you've got to have really good work-life balance and really good boundaries because that can be incredibly emotionally taxing work. So pre-2020 had, had always done really great with that, but last year presented some challenges that were unprecedented. There was no textbook. I don't know about you. I never learned about that in school. There was no class on counseling people through a pandemic while handling the pandemic yourself, unfortunately. So I think that is a newer piece that obviously, like everyone, I'm also trying to figure out how to balance. Yeah, I think that I've had some nice opportunities to connect with other professionals about how we as therapists can manage our own stress levels and the changes that have occurred in, in our lives. But I, I feel like my exposure to that kind of support is haphazard. You know, there's times where it's sort of more readily available than other times. And also, too, is like that stress level, like you said, when people are unaware that they're not maintaining the balance and they think they're knocking it out of the park, especially if they think that generally, you know, like if they think, oh, yeah, I've, I've generally got this taken care of versus like there's times I know I'm doing well with work-life balance and there's other times because of whether it's the needs of my clients or the needs of my family or something going on with you know I could have a cold or something like that that just kind of knocks it out of balance and I just feel like it's a little bit of a wild ride up to us as parents as professionals to monitor that and then make adjustments as needed and I think that for me my husband can be a good person to sort of bounce it back and forth on. I know that you've helped me the other day. Like I had like a lot to do with my finals for this week and you were like, Oh, let me just make your bed. And I was like that even just like a small act like that was like, okay, now my bed is made. So like I'm on top of the world. I got this. Yeah. So I just, just like that little bit of support can just kind of go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Chief bed maker here. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's hard to like move my cat too. So yeah, she she has <laughs> a lot of decision making depends on what's <laughs> happening with the cat. Like if the cat's on her lap, she's like, I don't really need to plug in my computer right now, even though it's three percent battery. Or she'll wait till someone walks by and be like, Ooh, ooh can you plug in my computer? I don't want to move the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to Moe's. Make any night taco night with a build-your-own taco kit from Moe's. Each kit comes with your choice of two proteins, tortillas, rice, beans, plenty of toppings, and as always, chips and salsa are free. You can feed the whole family for only $34.99. Order online or through Moe's app for curbside, pickup, or delivery. Make family dinner fun with Moe's Southwest Grill. Seriously, hon, bring home a taco kit tonight. Yep, I'm on it. So we've made reference to COVID a few times during this conversation, and I guess I just want to take a minute and kind of isolate it as its own entity. Have you found there to be certain strategies that are effective for adults, specifically when it comes to COVID? Right. One of the big changes that came with COVID was both good and bad, and that has been the loss of the commute. For a lot of people, they don't love the commute. They don't like the traffic. But that also provided them that space to gear up for work. So if they had struggled to get the kids ready that morning or they had, you know, had, as I sometimes have to chase down my dog that always chooses the morning that I'm running the latest to um, take a, a tour of our neighborhood off leash, that commute provided time to kind of leave that and gear up. And then when we left work, that commute provided us time to take a deep breath and listen to a podcast like this one, of course, or listen to music or, you know, sometimes just be in silence and decompress. And the loss of the commute, as much as I think initially in COVID, people were like, yay, I'm working from home. I don't, I'm not burning gas. I'm not putting miles on my car. A few months into it, I had clients going, wait a second. Now I'm realizing my commute that was my quiet time. That was my me space. That was the time between the chaos of work and the chaos of home. That was that little bit of reprieve. So helping people to really find a way to get that, whether it is, hey, when I finish up my work day working from home, I'm going to work it out with my partner too. They get a 10-minute walk and I get a 10-minute walk. I have one person that drives around the neighborhood not for any particular reason. Sometimes they do have an errand to run. Sometimes it's just kind of a quick lap around the neighborhood just to see what's going on. And the car is a safe place to be right now. Obviously, they're not going out anywhere, but it gives them that few minutes of quiet. So people have gotten very creative about how they're doing that. But getting that space during COVID has been really important for my clients. They, they need that. And the loss of the commute initially was great, but now people are missing their commutes. Also, with some people having the opportunity to go back to the office, and some people, their companies asking them to come back, trying to reframe their thinking, particularly with people that, that are being asked to come back, but may still have some anxiety around COVID, trying to look at that and say, okay, let's manage your anxiety around COVID, but let's also look at now two days a week, you're going to get that commute back. So how can we use that for a positive while also honoring your anxiety around COVID and how can you 
deal with that when you're in the office and how can you be safe and how can you be, be as clean as you need to be. And um, a couple of my clients have really gotten good at reframing and actually now they're having to go back to the office. And of course, when they get home, having to change clothes and rinse off and shower and sanitize, they're kind of taking it and going, hey, not only do I get my commute now, I get 10 extra minutes of downtime to kind of sanitize myself. And, and I think that while it's a very serious topic, that is a, a nice way to reframe that and look at it, something that could be a real negative and they could get bummed out about. They're trying to, to smile about it and go, hey, I get 10 extra minutes, my commute and 10 extra minutes to sanitize. Like, I'm going to be a whole new person when I'm interacting with my family tonight. Yeah, I have a lot of guilt over not exercising as much as I should. And I think, okay, before I would ride, depending on traffic, let's say 20 to 25 minutes in the car to work and back. And so you're like, okay, that is really a quite a nice workout time. Like if you took that 40 to 50 minutes and you applied that to a workout, I mean, you'd be rocking it. And so I have this thing of like, before I was just sitting in the car and having that downtime or listening to music or calling my brother or whatever it is that I did. And now I could take that time and exercise and like recognize that it's not actually impacting my work time, but yet I still don't do it. And I think some of it is because I do take those few minutes to call my brother or I'll get out of these evening appointments and I'll say, okay, my last appointment's done at 6.30. And so my husband will say, all right, well, well I'll plan for dinner to be ready at 6.30. But it means me getting off a, a Zoom call with a client and basically immediately going downstairs. And But I, I feel too guilty to be like, oh, why don't I just tell him seven and then have a few minutes to just decompress or finish up that paperwork or whatever. Like I feel guilty about that because I'm right here in the house and everybody's downstairs. And it's not that I don't want to see them, but there is no transition between being with a client and immediately stepping back into the world of your family. So... And I think that, Anna, one of the things you miss, and I think you have like a love-hate relationship with this, is there's times when you are home alone that you enjoy. Like you enjoy puttering around the house and doing your thing, like mm -hmm. being with the animals or watching a TV show you want to watch. Or you do a lot of stuff in the kitchen. And so on the one hand, she doesn't have that alone time anymore. But on the other hand, on the occasions where she is alone, she's kind of like, wait, I'm going to be here by myself. What time are you coming home? Yeah. And she has this like indignant, I don't know, feeling like you're being abandoned. I know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I it could go either way. Like sometimes I always feel like I'm home alone because you will be doing something. Pete will be gone doing work. Dylan will be gone as well. And so sometimes it does feel like I'm home alone, even though I'm not. So then when I'm like actually home alone, I'm like, hello. <laughs> Doesn't anybody love me? <laughs> then I'll like go and surround myself with all my animals. Like you love me, right? <laughs> yeah, I think there's been some regression in certain life skills yeah. from always having a parent at your fingertip. Mm -hmm. But other things, I'm like, bring me coffee. And <laughs> she got her license recently. And so now she can like run to the store. And so that's really, it, it, but it makes my world even smaller because then I don't even have that small errand to run. So I'm like, well, I should delegate that out to Anna because I don't technically need to leave the house. So then that makes me even more inclined to be focused on work tasks. Right. Boy, I feel like I'm failing at work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe we need to do a work-life balance check here. <laughs> 
I know. I know. I need, I need to have another check-in about this for sure. Okay. So COVID we know is definitely having an impact. I do think also there is just a general escalation of anxiety, like kind of this burden we're all walking around with as far as worrying about safety, you know, thinking about, I know as a parent, I think about, okay, what are my kids' academic experience? Like, is there going to be an impact on, on them for a little while academically? You know, just the other day I was doing whatever around the house and I was just like, if I can't see a friend and just share a meal, like I can't even handle it anymore. You know, like I just, in that moment, I'm pretty introverted. Like I don't really have a hard time with this being home thing, but I just had this thought of like, you know, this is crap. I have a good friend that I haven't seen in almost a year and she's not that far away. Right. And it just, in that moment, it felt really overwhelming. And so I think all of us kind of walking around and then we have a really stressful political climate right now. There's families who are experiencing financial distress, which is really difficult and adds to stress level. So I definitely have concerns about my clients' well-being when it comes to just managing those stressful things, regardless of their work obligations. Right. I know with my clients, um, with COVID, it was unknown. So this initial onset of anxiety. And then we started learning more and we got some procedures in place. So probably mid-summer, there was a slight decrease. But also with that decrease was the idea of, oh, by the end of the year, by the holidays, by Thanksgiving, we'll be back to normal. Mid-October, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I saw a definite increase in my client's anxiety because it was the realization of those moments that I thought about that I assumed we would be back to normal. They're now here and we are not normal yet. Definitely a cycle where there was the initial increase, people settled in, definitely still some anxiety, but a slight decrease. Then it, it spiked again. I'm certainly hoping now that we've turned the corner into the new year, perhaps we'll see that cycle back to where people kind of settle back in and go, okay, this is here. We're dealing with it. I've got to wrap my mind around this, but it's, it's very cyclical what I see with my clients, especially when we get these benchmarks in our mind, like clients would say next year, next year, 2021. And I kept saying, okay, so what changes at midnight on the first, right? Like does COVID vanish or does it disappear? Not to be mean, but just to really help them to start wrapping their minds around don't pick an arbitrary event and think that it's going to get better, but instead start trying to deal with the anxiety that you're feeling. That's how it will get better. Start trying to create a better work-life balance. That will make things better. Magic doesn't happen at a certain event, but doing things to manage it and create better balance, that will be magical. That will create some magic for you. That will help you. Yeah, I find that parents show more grief when there is a milestone that they expected their child to participate in. I know with some of my friends when fall came and their college-bound students weren't able to participate in a college experience that looked like we expected it, you know, going off, being in a dorm room, being part of in-person classes. For some kids, it really just shifted their entire year, like they, they delayed their enrollment this fall because their parents decided it was too risky to send them off into a dorm room or they didn't want to pay full price for a freshman year that was going to be experienced in front of a computer. So that was really difficult for a lot of parents or when it came to prom or high school graduation, 
a birthday. I've seen a lot of parents with younger kids really struggle with not being able to do a bigger birthday celebration for their six-year-old or their three-year-old or 12-year-old. And so I see a rise in stress and grief in parents on behalf of their kids. And I have to remind them, like, your kid will do as well as you do. So if you're able to be like, hey, you're still going to have a great birthday, even if it doesn't consist of 15 of your friends at a sleepover, and having them recognize that it's about treasuring your child and having them feel special and maybe giving them a gift that they really enjoy and having birthday cake and all the things that can still continue. But if they give off the impression to their child of like, you are missing out, poor you, this is terrible then kids are more likely to experience that, that negative feeling. Right. I had a client who graduated last year and our work during that time frame really became about missing high school graduation for her was not, it was certainly something that we talked about and dealt with, but her family was just overcome with these intense emotions around missing high school graduation that our work really became around having these conversations with her family and and managing and eventually me kind of having to step in and say all right guys like we've got to rein this in a bit if you would sit down and have a conversation like she's okay we've talked about it like we we've processed it we're okay here but it had gotten to the point where i mean every conversation around the dinner table was you know, mom was constantly in tears every time it came. And it was like, okay, guys, like, let's, let's back up for a minute. This is where we're at. Are we doing more to increase the anxiety? Or are we kind of looking at the situation going, here's where we're at. Let's all try to take some steps forward. In that situation, my high school aged client did a fantastic job taking steps forward. The parents did not do a great job. And I think that's where, as we're talking about work-life balance, with the parents, that's where you get into other stuff. Like what else do they have impacting them that they have to take a look at and go, okay, perhaps it's not just that event that's causing this. Perhaps it is some other stuff and you are channeling all of it into this one event. But let's take a look, you know, at that point, they were not my client, but encouraging them to work with their own therapist to kind of take an examination of everything going on. Perhaps you're channeling some of the stress because that's a very easy one. So everything feels out of my control, but I can sit at dinner every single night and cry that my daughter's missing high school graduation. Feels okay, but when we step back and examine it, not a very healthy coping skill for anyone in the family. Yeah. Well, and the opportunity to role model resilience through all of this is something I know I've taken pride in. And when I have those thoughts of being really stressed out or wanting to have like just a little mini temper tantrum over the fact that something feels so out of sorts, I do recognize like, hey, I have the opportunity here to really teach my kids how to adjust to something that really in many ways just feels so very unfair and to focus on the aspects of it that are either positive or even just not that bad, you know? So I don't know. Do you feel, I feel like we've talked about a lot of the aspects of it that are less stressful, you know, I think in general- we're a family that is pretty happy to be together. We're pretty good at entertaining ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we recognize our privilege as far as not being under a huge financial constraint. Yeah, definitely. That we have been lucky enough to stay healthy and that our loved ones are healthy. Like, I feel like you and your brother are really good at recognizing those strengths. Yeah. So, and I'd like to think that, you know, your parents are helping you. 
stay in that mindset. Mm-hmm. Hey, listeners, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about a private Facebook group that I just created. It's called Adolescence, a Parent's Guide, a support group for high school parents. Parents or caregivers of high schoolers or soon-to-be high schoolers are encouraged to join. We'll be sharing educational resources, supporting each other as we survive the roller coaster of parenting a high schooler, and offering a shoulder to cry on when it all gets too stressful. Search for us on Facebook to listen, learn, and join the discussion. All right. So thinking specifically about parents and, you know, you had mentioned the loss of the commute and making sure that parents take some time to have that sort of pause in their day that they can gather themselves and and have a moment and kind of gear up for transitioning over to family life. Is there other tips that you have as far as what parents can do to, to get through this? Sure. One thing that can also be very helpful when you're thinking about work-life balance is, especially as we're working from home more, is recognizing that we do need to have some separation, but they are not separate things. We are one individual and there is overlap. So as we are living in the same house with our partners or our children, and of course being mindful and being age appropriate, but recognizing that the people that we live with, the people around us can fill our energy. So we are not doing ourselves or them any favors when we try to pretend like we're in balance, but they can feel that we're not. So for example, I I have a toddler. Obviously he does not want or care to know any details of my day um, specifically, but we do have conversations. So he knows that there are particular days that I have long days and he's aware of that. And We do talk about it at the onset, you know, in the morning when we're getting ready. And I just tell him, buddy, today is a really, it's one of mommy's long days. So tonight, I'm not going to have as much playtime with you, but tomorrow is a shorter day just to make him aware. Now, of course, he's so young, he doesn't need to know what a long day encompasses for me. But if I come home and I've had a really long day where I've had a lot of clients, I've had a lot of paperwork, and he can feel that energy from me but he doesn't understand why I'm not being helpful. That's not a healthy work-life balance to think that it exists in a vacuum. He can feel it. I think not giving him details, but letting him know it was a long day. I had a lot of clients come in today. I had to talk to a lot of people today. Anna, you can probably speak to a different age range and what's appropriate, but parents often kind of make the mistake of trying to separate and not sharing with people in their house. And not only is it good because the people in your house can feel your energy, but also I know even with with my toddler, sometimes just saying, oh, buddy, it was a long day today. It feels so cathartic for me. And for him, he's so young and cute and snuggly, and he'll just come and throw his arms around my neck and say, mommy, you did a great job today. He has no clue that I did a great job, but of course to him, I do a great job every day. And it, it feels great because as you know, with what we do, but in all jobs, sometimes I can go all day and nobody tells me I did a great job. And even though he's only four, 
sometimes just as much as it's good for him to hear that from me, it's also really nice for me to say that and kind of get that, that nice hug from someone. I mean, obviously his hugs are the best thing in the world. So Anna, I didn't know if you had any input just from a different age range of what that might look like. Something that my mom does, especially is tell us the day before and be like, oh, well, I had this really long appointment with this family who is, you know, going to take a while. So I'm going to have a hard day between this time and this time. So the hour after it, I just kind of want to have some downtime, just spend some time in my room, like chillaxing. And me and my brother are like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, take the time you need. And just her communicating with us lets us know what her mood is going to be for the night. Just kind of understanding what's going on, which is really helpful. I always want you to know when I'm available. Yeah. And your brother in particular, he'll say, you know, what, do you, what have you got going tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And he kind of wants to get a preview and I'll say, well, I've got, you know, I start at this time and then I'm going to go till about here and then I'm going to have like an hour break and I'm going to come and see what you guys are doing. And then I have to go to an appointment that's at somebody's house and, but I'm going to be home by 630 and we'll go through your math. And he really, in particular, he really likes to know what to expect Mm -hmm. and is very reassuring for him to not feel blindsided by a day that is busier for me than he expected. I know that once, let's say you do get home at 6.30 from an, an appointment, we'll always make sure to ask you, you'll be like, oh, how was it? And sometimes you'll be like, oh, it was great. Like we got whatever, a lot of work done. It was great. But then sometimes you'll say like, oh, it was kind of hard. I kind of struggled. I'll say, sometimes I'll say, I'm working with a family that's really struggling. Yeah. And, so and be like, that's like, difficult. Yeah. And so then you like communicate with us what happened. And we're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I hope you have a better day tomorrow. We just go from there. And you yeah. ask us the same thing. You're like, well, did you get a lot of schoolwork done? I think that our family does a great job of communicating like that. Well, I also never want... If I come home from work and I'm preoccupied or I have low energy or even distracted, sometimes after appointments occur, I know there's going to be a little bit of follow-up. And I never want you to think that my low energy or being worn out is like due to you or your brother. Like Mm -hmm. I I don't, because I know as a kid, I don't feel like my parents were great communicators about their stress point. And I remember thinking like, wait, did I do something wrong? Is she mad at me? And then I can kind of have this internal struggle with myself where I'm like searching through my behavior to think whether or not I did something wrong. And I, as a parent, that's always been a a real goal of mine is just to be a really open communicator and acknowledge like, oh yeah, I got, I've got, I had a really busy day and I'm really tired. But like the fact that I'm with you guys is, as my kids is a win, you know, like I I don't ever want them to tiptoe around because they're just not really sure where my energy is coming from. I think that's really stressful for kids. I tell my clients the concept, and this is a Courtney term, reciprocal greetings. So even with my child at four, we talk about the importance of reciprocal greetings. I know we talked about moms in particular, and sometimes the clients that I have that are moms, this is a little bit difficult for them because they put this expectation even on themselves of, oh, well, when I come in from work, I have this responsibility and this expectation to, you know, ask my children, how was your day? Ask my partner, how was their day? Take care of this and take care of this. And sometimes I will ask that person sitting in front of me, well, who asked you about your day? And it can be pretty eye-opening when they say, well, no one did. And so I ask them, well, how are you staying in balance? Because part of staying in balance is just, the communication in the house and and everyone knowing what's going on with me or where my energy's at 
But if no one's asking me, then I'm not telling anyone. What does that look like? And oftentimes that's how we get into these conversations about that balance being off and trying to correct it. So I know in my house personally and with my clients, that idea of reciprocal greetings. And some days I don't want to necessarily talk about what happened. I don't want to go into details. And oftentimes with the work we do, we can't go into a lot of details. But just the idea, even with my four-year-old or with anyone in my house coming in and, you know, how was your day? I often will prompt my clients, one word answers are really not okay here. Good, bad, fine. Even in the work that we do, I can give more than a one word answer without divulging information that I'm bound by confidentially not to, because I'm really talking about how I feel. And when we talk about work-life balance, this is about my feelings. So work-life balance is dealing with my feelings and how I'm balancing that. It's not about the events going on at work. I don't need to share what happened with a particular client to share that today was a really tough day. Um, Oftentimes I know my days are really tough, not necessarily because of the content, but because of the scheduling. And right now, some clients are on Zoom, some clients are on FaceTime, some clients want to use a different platform that I'm not familiar with. Sometimes it's an acute client that just came out of the hospital that I really need to see in the office and I have to clean and sanitize and then gear up in my own hazmat suit, meet them at the door, make sure they have on their hazmat suit. That's just me feeling run down by what's going on. And I can certainly share that and, and do share that. My four-year-old would even, you went to him and said like, what are some of the things that, you know, makes mommy have low energy? Like he would be able to tell you that days that I have a lot of clients and he would probably tell you they're in a lot of different spots, meaning that some are online, some have to come in, some are on FaceTime, but he, he recognizes, he doesn't necessarily know fully what that means, but it's that idea of a reciprocal greeting. Like he understands, I ask him about his school day. If he comes out of school and he's sad, I want to, I want to know like what's going on. So I ask him, but I need him to also learn to do the same thing for me. Yeah. Well, that's such a great opportunity to foster empathy, certainly. And I think that a lot of parents and moms in particular can end up feeling very invisible in their home when they don't have somebody ask them. And also that can result in kids treating them like they're invisible, taking them for granted, not recognizing the small acts of service they do, not giving them respect. You know, sometimes I hear kids speak to their parents, mothers in particular, like they're a little tyrant, you know, and some of that has to do with how that mother receives it. If she is communicated with that way and she responds to the content and not the tone, then sometimes that can inadvertently reinforce that that manner of speaking between parent and child. But I think it's really important for kids to understand empathy. They're going to have a deeper, more connected relationship with their parent when they know each other as people. I mean, and I think that whether your kid is three years old or 12 years old or 18 years old, you can adjust your communication to fit their developmental level. And I feel like in in our home, I remember when ex-husband and I first got divorced and they would go with their dad for the weekend and they'd hop in the car and I'd say, oh, how was your weekend? Did you do anything fun? And then I would say to them, okay, now ask mommy, ask me about my weekend. And everything I told back to them was, you know, something really 
understandable, like, oh, I went to the grocery store and I got some strawberries and they're in the fridge if you want any. And I talked to Uncle Nathan and, you know, whatever it was, it was all stuff that was, you know, completely kid appropriate for them to hear and understand. But it was really important to me that they not think of me as a person whose life immediately went into pause because they were at their dad's. And so now I feel like when we get back together after they have a visit with their dad, we spend a nice amount of time really catching up as people. And since they're older now, it's even a more meaningful, like in-depth conversation. But that started way back when they were really young and evolved over time. And I know that really decreases my stress load to think that I can like be myself and not always be in a place where I'm just like service oriented towards not only my clients, but my family too. Right. And the reality is good, bad, or indifferent. We spend a lot of time at work. The, the expectation of our society and the number of hours we work, whether we're doing it at home or we're in an office, we spend a lot of time at work. To think that we're going to find a way to totally separate that from our partners, from our kids, is a sign of an unhealthy work-life balance. The sign of a healthy work-life balance is how do I incorporate that? I'm not unloading on them. That's, that's also unhealthy. But I have found a way to talk to them about it. I know, Anna, you mentioned earlier, like with some of your friends, they might not even know what their parents do for a living. Like that would be concerning to me because that's a huge piece of, of your parents' life that you don't know what they do. You know, perhaps, I don't know if you're a spy. I guess you should keep that a secret, but maybe... You know, other than that, there still should be a cover story, though. If you're a spy, there should be a cover story. Like your kids should think you're an accountant. Yes, an accountant. That isn't that generally like the the perfect cover story for a spy. Or maybe it's a maybe a th- maybe it's a therapist. Nah, Ooh. maybe. <laughs> Don't blow our cover. Shh. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure all spies are accountants. Like I, yeah, I think my accountant could be a spy. but yeah there I agree with you and I think you're really missing out on an opportunity to know about a career no no I mean if you don't know (laughs) I mean you can be you can do anything you want honey um no I mean if you don't know what your parents do all day yeah and and I understand there's some jobs that are highly technical but even Uncle Nathan you know how Uncle Nathan is an engineer yeah and he's like told you what he does Mm -hmm. and and like I and I've asked him too because I don't really know what he does. Like I've been like, what do you do all day? And he'll be like, well, I go into a room and I think, and then I go out and talk to other people about what we thought about, and then we come back in and think some more. But then he's able to tell you about how whatever he does has to do with cell phones and stuff. And I'm obviously simplifying it, and I do know more than I just said. So if you're <laughs> listening, Nathan, I swear I know what you do. But you're a spy. Yeah, that absolutely could be true. I agree with you, Courtney. I think it's really important that parents share that part of their life with their kids because they have so much that they can be role modeling. And I don't know, it just kind of bums me out. And I mean, obviously, Anna here, this podcast is part of my working life. I'm included in that. I know. You're in the know. You're in the inner circle. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I agree. This has been extraordinarily helpful for me. I know I have to do some self-reflection on my work-life balance, not only for my own well-being, but also, like I said, for what I role model. Is there any last things that you want to make sure we include today as we're talking to our audience? The last thing that I would include is really one thing that I emphasize to my clients is to try 
to be really mindful of their self-talk and to be kind to themselves when it comes to this area and recognize that if I have a rough day at work and I go home and, you know, a lot of times I will have clients that will really get into negative self-talk and beat themselves up. They didn't play enough or they didn't spend enough time working on homework with their kid or they didn't do enough of, of this. And, and I always try to work through that with them and say, hey, like instead of beating yourself up, let's talk about what you did right. I was just working with a client. We've been working a lot on this. And one thing that we kind of worked through was we had a situation where he did have a really bad day and came home and was really kind of beating himself up. But I, I mentioned to him, I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, you know, I, I did tell my kids that I had had a really rough day and, you know, didn't give them a ton of detail, but let them know a little bit about why and that I was really tired. I was probably going to need to go to bed earlier than normal and just wasn't feeling like myself. And so just really pointing out to him, hey, rather than beating yourself up with a lot of negative self-talk, let's talk about how awesome it was that you had that conversation with them so that they just didn't pick up on a bunch of negative energy coming off of you, but they actually understood why. And when he stopped to reflect on that, he went, wow, they were actually really supportive and they were super quiet that night because I did want to go to bed a little earlier because I was really kind of beat down from my day. And so once we worked through that negative self-talk and reframed some of that, recognizing there was actually so much good stuff that happened. So I really just encourage people when it comes to this area, there is no black and white. It's not 50-50. Just be mindful not to beat yourself up. Every day truly looks different. And we have to just really work hard to try our best every day and recognize that some days will be better than others, but try to find the positive in each day rather than always focusing on the negative and what I didn't do well. Yeah, we can have some expectations for ourselves that are really unrealistic. And I don't know, it, it does a disservice to everyone in our lives, ourselves, our coworkers, our families, our relationships. So I appreciate that advice. Well, Courtney Ikaza, thank you so much for being with us on today's show. I hope that our audience really benefits from getting some information about how to better have work-life balance. As you listen to this episode, everyone, make sure you remember we have new episodes that come out every Wednesday. We love it when we get your reviews on Apple Podcast. Yeah. What else do you want to say, Anna? Yeah, make sure to stay tuned. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else? Oh, you kind of covered it. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Anna. It was a pleasure to talk to you about your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, it's all about me. About me. <laughs> yeah. And spies. Uh, that's right. And spies. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Mama. Love you. Love you too, sweetie. Hey, listeners, please join our free parenting webinar series. It's offered each Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please visit www.drtaraegan.com to register via Zoom. Each webinar will offer a 15 to 20 minute presentation hosted by me, followed by a 30 minute question and answer session. If you can't join us live, you'll be sent the recording directly to your email so you can watch it later at your convenience. Join our Facebook page at Dr. Tara Egan to get details about topics we'll be discussing in upcoming webinars. This is my chance to meet you, so please register today.